Hello, listeners. This is PSG Talk contributor Mark Damon, and this is PSG Small Talk for Saturday, January 19th, 2019. Believe it or not, I had plans for this show, but um, Marco Verratti got hurt again, so those plans are out the window. Um, We'll talk about that and how that changes certain things. Um, We'll talk about PSG's 9-0, we said that right, no typo, uh, no misspeak, 9-0 victory over Gengam in league on play today. But we'll start, obviously, with the news that has come out here. Marco Verratti is hurt again, and this time it really wasn't a muscular thing, it wasn't a conditioning thing, he just got his ankle stepped on in a pretty awkward, nasty way. Now... It was right after the Neymar goal, I think around the 10th or 11th minute of the game. He goes for a ball. The clumsy Gingon player steps on his ankle, bends it the wrong way. Verratti's in a lot of pain. He comes off, barely can put weight on it. Draxler comes in to take his place. Verratti goes to the locker room and, according to most reports, went to the hospital, which is not all that peculiar or odd. It doesn't... It doesn't make it worse in that sense, because for any kind of injury like that, you're probably going to go to the hospital just to make sure that it's not broken or fractured. And the fact that he could put weight on it as he was walking off, he had uh, ice on the back of his ankle. He was walking off very gingerly. But I'm not going to say probably again, I'm not a medical doctor. I I don't have any sort of medical degree in that field, but I did work. I was a coach for a long time. I know how to kind of see injuries. It's a high ankle, low ankle sprain. It's an ankle sprain. It's a severe looking ankle sprain. And there's probably a better than 50% chance that he's not going to play against Manchester United. Now, this could all, he, the pain could all sort of go away for him after a couple of days and he'll feel better and then he can work his way back in two, three weeks. But more than likely, he's going to probably need a month or so before he gets back into a game, which probably takes him out of the Manchester United game unless he decides to try to play in that game and then rest afterwards and try to do more rehab after it. We'll we'll see. That's far down the line, and we don't have a diagnosis yet. But, obviously, for a guy who's the only real midfielder PSG are willing to play at the moment, that's probably not great. And Lasana Diara is still technically under contract, so... If PSG wanted to, they could get a few more games out of Lasana Diara before they let him out of his contract, if he's willing and up for that. I don't know what he's been doing the last two, three months, but I believe that Diara has yet to be released from his contract. So he's still a PSG player, and he's still an option if he's willing to um, play again. I don't know what he's willing to do. No, it, it's... The most recent reporting said he wanted to terminate his contract and retire. Maybe he can give you a couple games here in uh, in emergency, maybe in the cup, maybe in the week after that, so that you can get your midfield situation taken care of. Of course, there's Adrian Rabio, and I think there will be a lot of fans who don't want him to come back under any circumstance. 
I think that's kind of penny-wise and pound-foolish and biting your nose off to spite your face. If the guy's healthy, if he's willing to come in and play in the cup matches and in some of the league gun matches and give you some depth so that you're not completely blown up in that position, you have to at least consider it. I don't think Tuchel necessarily wants to sit Rabio. This is an up this is a Nasser decision. And I understand why Nasser is doing it. And I completely understand why fans would be completely and utterly against the idea. However, this is sort of an extraordinary circumstance. And it really doesn't look like he's going anywhere this win this uh this window. There's really no movement. Like, he might have an agreement with Barcelona. He might not. And the whole Frankie de Jong situation, which I um, was going to talk more about in this uh, show, but I feel like because it's not over, over, and I don't want to sound like I'm spiking the football before I get into the end zone, I'm going to leave it and just save it for another time. But that situation complicates things for Rabio. He might have to go out... And it might be, let's put it this way, it might be in both parties' best interests that Adrian Rabio come out and play really well for them and up his value in the general marketplace when he goes out into free agency, for lack of a better term. And it'll help PSG because they need a damn midfielder. So that might be an option. You've seen Adley's in mothball somewhere. He's not with the reserve team. He's not with the under-19s. We don't really know where Yassine Adley is, but they took a great amount of pain to re-sign him and get him a professional contract. So, with a cup match coming up, it's against Strasbourg, who's a tough team, and it might be a tough situation to put him in. But at some point, you know, desperate times call for desperate measures. And then there's the the transfer window, which is about 10 days, 10, 11 days away from closing. It closes Thursday, the 31st of January. We're at a point now where it's not a luxury or even a necessity. It's life threatening in the sense of PSG season. They got to get a midfielder. There's no ifs, ands, or buts about this. They have to get a midfielder and they have to get one that could theoretically start in a Champions League game. If they don't, they might be able to get away with it against Manchester City, and I'll talk about that as I go over the game a little bit. But they they would have no chance in a uh, a real you know in a, in a game against Barcelona, Real Madrid, Bayern Munich, Juventus, who they're going to have to go through to get to the deep rounds anyway. They're going to have no chance. So. If Verratti is out for any longer than about a month, then you you have to consider the guy you're getting is going to be starting. And he's probably going to have to start against Manchester, too, unless you think that you can do some other voodoo here, which I'll talk about again as we go along in the game and we cover that. So I've, I've proposed this on Twitter, and I think this is the option you have to go with. You have a sacrificial lamb right now. His name is Christopher Unkunku. He's getting game time in certain positions. He's playing midfield at times. He's not playing midfield at other times. He's playing winger. Clearly, Tomas Tuchel does not see this guy as a player the way he sees Musa Diaby as a player or the way he sees um, 
Tilo Carrer is a player where they're younger players, but he's giving them consistent minutes. Unkunku's just not getting that. He's just doing the jack-of-all-trades sort of playing in league on games role. And he's clearly not okay with that. And his agent said as much. The agent wants to advance his career by moving him to a place where he's going to consistently play at one position. And I'm good with that. That's at least being honest, unlike what Adrian Rabio and his mother did. Unkunku and his agent are being honest here. And I'm good with that. Because he does deserve to go out there and get regular minutes at some point in his career. He can't be a bench warmer his whole life. And at some point, it just stunts your growth. So at 21, 22 years old, he's got to go do some stuff. And alone right now doesn't bring in the money you need. And there are some times in life where tough decisions have to be made. And this is a tough decision. I would sell him. I would try to get 10 to 15 million euros for him. Use that with the 30 million that you already have and just get Paredes now. Don't wait. Don't even sell on Kunku before you get Paredes. Get Paredes now. Pay the 45 million to Zenit. Because quite honestly, if you give them 45 million euros, they're going to take it. They're Zenit. They're not they're in the Russian league. They're not getting all these major sponsorships. They don't have a whole bunch of money that they can screw around with. They're going to want to get as much as they can, and $45 million is a good price. It's a fair price. It's a market price. Weigel's not going anywhere because at this point, it just seems like Dortmund want to have him for depth, and Weigel might be an option in the summer, and you could probably get him for less in the summer because he's just not going to play enough to really be a to really have that sort of impact and get that transfer fee up higher. So you can always come back to Weigel. But right now, Paredes is the option. Apparently they have personal terms agreed. All they need to do is get to Zenit's offer. Give them the 45 minutes. Again, if I'm Enrique, not to be desperate, But you do, and you go to Zenit and say, look, we'll give you $45 now. Can we seal this up now? $45 is a fair price. It's above his market value by probably 10, 15 million euros. Let's get it done. Let's get it done now. Let's not wait. Let's not try to play this game of chicken anymore. Because because of Marco Verratti's injury, PSG can no longer play chicken. And that's what they've been doing. And they've been doing it pretty well. And they're trying to get that price down for Moscow to get it into the 30s, I assume. And they're trying to play chicken and get a couple of guys that they want. I get what they're doing. It's negotiating. It's business 101. I understand it. But right now, unless you just want to completely screw yourselves over, you got to go make that deal now. You can't wait for that. Blow Chelsea out of the water. Blow anyone else out of the water with that offer. Go at 45, go hard and go strong. And I'm usually not somebody that is going to like push for a transfer because I understand the difficulty in this situation. But Jesus Christ, at this point, if you're not going to bring Rabio back, if you're just hell-bent on not letting him touch the field again with your jersey on, if you're not going to bring up Yassine Adley to play minutes, 
if you can't bring Lasana Diara back to play some emergency games, what other option do you have? You have no other option. And at this point, you are out of leverage. So pay the 45, pay the 50 million, sell on Kunku, and figure out how to make up the difference later, because you have till June to do so. And you can sell in June to balance out. So it's not like they have to have the money now to make this work. They can sell Nkunku now, go 45 50 for Paredes, get him now, get him on a plane, have him ready for the cup or have him ready for the next week's league, weekend's league on game, and go from there and give him four games to integrate so that your, your structure looks like Silva, Carer, Kimpembe in the back, Marquinhos, whatever you want to do. I'm not even going to go through a lineup right now because we just don't know what's going to be there. But if you can get a midfield two of Draxler and Paredes and you can get that into Old Trafford, I think that's okay. With the amount of attacking power you have and the defense you have behind it that's been playing exceptionally well this year, especially in the in the Champions League, you should be able to, at the very worst, get out of Old Trafford with a draw, if not a win. And then go to the Parc des Princes March 6th or March 5th or whatever it'll be, and you'll have Adrian Rabio, sorry, you'll, Freudian slip, you'll have Marco Verratti probably back by then. And then you, that, you, again, it's, it, it's just surviving the, surviving that first Manchester United game. That's the key. And you got to get a guy in now so that you can get him four games. I've been very complimentary of Antero Henrique for as long as he's been here to probably the detriment of my popularity because, People have been much less patient with him. But this is where you just have to say, screw it, we have to do it. There's no choice anymore, unless you just want to throw away the season. Now, let me transition a little bit, because I want to just talk about the other sort of options that may have to present themselves. Because PSG, after that injury, went on to just absolutely demolish Gingong. Hat-tricks from Edinson Cavani and Kylian Mbappe, a brace from Neymar, and a goal by Thomas Meunier off the bench. That equals nine, folks. And if your attacking talent is going to be that sharp like it was in this game, because Neymar was brilliant, Mbappe got into this game, Cavani was just... Cavani was excellent at just finding space, and that's what he has to do with this team is find space in the box and punish the opponent when he gets a hold of it. And he did that today. Um, and if you have defensively Marquinhos and Silva and Kerr and Kimpembe when he comes back, and you have some rock-solid defending behind it, PSG are in good shape if they can get a, at least something like a functional midfield. It doesn't have to be exceptional, it just has to be functional. And in this game, what I learned was that Julian Draxler can be kind of a key cog in a functioning midfield. Angel Di Maria was not great in this game. In fact, he was bad. But he's enough of a player where he can he can kind of drift into the midfield and help with your possession. Same with Neymar. And this is part of it, too. Neymar is the primary ball control player on this team. He's going to have the ball more than anybody else. He's going to be creating more than anybody else. So it's not like you need Busquets, Iniesta, 
cross Modric out there. Because at the moment, Neymar can pretty much handle a lot of the playmaking duties. But what you do need are two functional midfielders that can hold their own and who can defend at least halfway decently in counter and can be an obstruction to Paul Pogba. Because if Paul Pogba goes into that game and you basically seed him the midfield, PSG are going to be in trouble. So the idea of playing a lineup with Silva, Kerr, Kimpembe, Marquinhos, Draxler and Verratti's spot, maybe even not even Kimpembe, maybe because here's what you'd have to do. You'd have to do Bernat, um, Silva, Marquinhos, Kerr. So you have a three-man back line which would go into a back two when it needs to. Then you'd have Munier on the right or Alves on the right. You'd have you'd have Draxler and Paredes or Draxler and maybe what you'd have to do is you'd have to bump Danny Alves in to play midfield and play Munier on the right side. Theoretically, let's say they get no more midfielders in this window. Something disastrous happens and Verratti isn't ready for Manchester. Your lineup would look like that. Danny Alves would probably be in the midfield. And to be quite honest, in an offensive game where the PSG have a majority of the possession, Danny Alves is a pretty decent midfielder. And the reason is because he's just one of the best football players of his generation. So he's a great right back. He's a great winger. He's a great midfielder. He's great at everything. But don't ask him to play defense. Don't ask him to run back and defend because he ain't going to do that. So you need someone that at least understands somewhat of how to play defense. So if you can get a Paredes in there or a Weigel in there, which is probably not going to happen, but if you get a Weigel in there, you can play, as I'll go through it again, Bernat, Silva, Kerr, Marquinhos, Munier, Alves, Draxler, Paredes, and then you go... Di Maria, maybe even Di Maria goes where Alves and, and Munier are. Again, there's so many combinations now with those wing players. And actually, PSG's strength is they do have a lot of talented wing players. And I know I'm rambling a bit right now, but I'm just trying to get it all in my head because it is sort of kind of confusing to keep it all straight. Obviously, Neymar, Mbappe, Cavani up front. Di Maria will probably play that wing position to sort of help in that help with some of the midfield work. Draxler and whoever they bring in is going to have to play there. And then Bernat will bomb down the left side. So they'll have something like what they had with Verratti. Obviously, it won't be as good, but Draxler was exceptional in this game. And I think if Draxler is aggressive, if he's attacking, if he's looking for the if he's looking ahead to the right pass and he's not sort of just giving the ball away once he gets it like he sometimes does when he drifts in and out of games they can handle and get through it one more time they need to get through another game with a less than 100 squad and it just feels like honestly PSG just can't get out of their own way with injuries and some of it's their some of it's the conditioning but most of it's just sort of flukish stuff that just kind of happens. And once again, like with it seems like every single major Champions League game this year, we have injury concerns going into it. 
So nothing, uh, nothing else is new, I guess. One more thing, and I like Thomas Tuchel a lot as a coach. I like what I'm seeing. What I'm about to say is not an indictment of Thomas Tuchel, the head coach, or his tactics, or anything like that. He's too honest with the media. And this has happened for this whole month. He has, in a way, undermined his own board, whether he knows what he's doing or not. And he's a smart guy, so he very well might know. But when he's talking about this desperate need for a midfielder and we're, you know, I'm scared that we're not going to get a midfielder. I'm concerned that we're not going to get a midfielder. When you talk like that, all you're doing is inflaming your own fan base and whipping them into a panic and showing other teams that the head coach desperately needs a midfielder. So why would Musk Zenit budge in this case? Now, again, sometimes it's plain and evident with your eyes what you need and what you don't need. And if you're Thomas Tuchel, you let the situation speak for itself. You don't have to go out there and say it and put words to it. That's kind of the issue. You don't want to say that much about the situation you're in. And today, he does it again. They ask him about Marco Verratti at halftime, and he gives away that he's at the hospital. And that he thinks the injury is serious. Like, what is this guy doing? First of all, if I'm asked at halftime about Marco Verratti's injury, I don't say a word because no one needs to know that because it's medical information that is technically private, that technically we shouldn't be just giving out to people. Just say, we'll talk about it after the game or I don't know, I haven't been updated yet. We'll talk about it after the game. You punt on that. You don't tell people that he's going to the hospital. Now, if you had to bring an ambulance out to the field and they drive him out from the field or they drive him out on a cart and it's evident, maybe you should say that. <clears throat> but in this situation, just don't say anything. Don't say a word. And then when at the end of the game, at the end of the game, when you're asked, here's all you have to say. Adrian, uh, sorry, I keep saying that. I don't know why. Marco Verratti um, injured, obviously injured his ankle. He was stepped on. They brought him to the hospital to do tests. I have no idea how severe or how not severe this injury is. For me to speculate would be malpractice on my part. It would be imprudent on my part. Because I am not a doctor and I do not play one on television. So I'm going to let the doctors look at the ankle. They'll tell me what the issue is eventually. And then we will go from there. That is all you have to say. And it protects your team from just, it protects you from looking like you're panicking. And this guy says, I'm happy, but I'm also sad. The injury looks very serious. He's probably going to be out for a few weeks. Like, we're in a bad situation right now. I'm paraphrasing, but this is what this guy is saying. On television. In front of people. 
you you don't have to be so honest. You can be a little coy. You can be a little bit demure about the situation. You don't have to broadcast that you're in full panic mode and that you don't know what you're going to do next and that we have to get someone in now. It's desperation time. Don't do that because that is where you look like an organization that doesn't have it together and that is panicking. And he looked like a guy that's panicking. Even though he was calm in what he's saying, it's still, you hear it in what he's saying, he's trying to tell you that he is panicking and that he's worried and concerned. Even if you are worried and concerned, you don't show it. You don't go to the battlefield for war, see that you're outnumbered two to one, wet your pants and run away. You don't. At that point, you're already in the war, Buckle up your fucking pants, you know, and sorry about the language, but button yourself up and go, go fight. Don't sound like a guy that's panicking. And the last month, Tomas Tuchel has sounded like a guy that's panicking, that's worried and that's concerned. And that's not what you want your leadership to show. You want your leadership to be strong. You want them to be united and you want them to be forceful and resolute in the face of adversity. You know what I mean? Like, you, if you're the leader of this thing, you're not the one that should be panicking. You know what I'm saying? Like, if you're leading the protest and they're bringing out the pepper spray and the, and the hoses and the dogs on you, you don't run away. You stand there and you fight because that's what leaders do. Leaders don't complain. Leaders don't panic. And this is not me saying that we should fire Tomas Tuchel or that he's a disaster. What I'm saying is he has a very specific flaw. The same way Unai Emery had his flaws. Tuchel is too honest with the media. He, show, he shows too much of his hand. And that's dangerous, especially in a situation where you need to be united and you need to be resolute, not panicking, not afraid, and not concerned. Make sure to follow PSG Talk on Twitter, Instagram, and Facebook. Subscribe to our Facebook, uh, subscribe to our um, our podcast, PSG Talking and PSG Small Talk. We should have a preview of the Manchester United fixtures in the Champions League with some special guests from the uh, from the uh, from the English island or fans of the team from the English island. Uh, look out for that. I'll try to have a preview of that too with some of my friends. Um, make sure to visit our Patreon page and buy our new T-shirt. Yes, finally, the Farmers League Champions T-shirt is out with a special quote from one Craig Burley on the back. Um, if you subscribe to our Patreon and you donate at a certain tier, you have to go to our Patreon page at psgtalk.com, look at the tiers on the left side, click the tier that includes the t-shirt, and we will send you one. Just make sure to give you us our name and address, and maybe not your name, but definitely your address and your shirt size, and we'll get that to you at some point. Ed handles all that. I'm not somebody that handles, uh, shipping things, so... Make sure you do that, support what we're doing here, and as always, it is going to be an interesting build-up to another tense Champions League fixture. How else would you want it?
So for PSG Talk, this has been Mark Damon saying au revoir for now.